The Irish Times Books Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's ethically sourced cocoa for a delicious chocolate taste. This is the Irish Times Books Podcast with me, Martin Doyle. On today's podcast, I'm talking via phone to Mick Heron, the author of the Sly House series of spy novels. Mick is originally from a working class background in Newcastle, but went on to study English at Oxford, where he still lives. Described as the John le Carre of his generation, his Slough House series features a rogues gallery of spies who have screwed up or been stitched up and are, as a consequence, desk-bound, less MI5, more 9 to 5. Presiding over them is the magnificently monstrous Jackson Lamb, a brutally insensitive, belching, boozing, Falstaffian figure who makes their life a misery but ultimately has their backs. The latest book in the series, Slow Country, is one of the best so far, Tightly plotted, wittily written, and as a bonus, a pitiless portrait of Brexit Britain. I'm delighted to say that, you know, sometimes you're a bit worried by the time you jump on the bandwagon, it's going to be running out of steam. But actually, um, with this one here, you're, uh, I think, at the the peak of your powers. Uh, So congratulations. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. So I worry that I'm, I'm running. <laughs> I worry that people will start seeing through me. So uh, it's nice that I'm, uh, that hasn't happened yet. I wonder just on that, like you know, how you know you're obviously very close to it. So I, I just wonder, like you know, when you finish a book, do you kind of do you know um, that it's you know that it's up to scratch? Are you you know like do you sort of trust your own judgment, whatever, or do you, are you desperately waiting for somebody else to to validate you? Um, my I, I work very. Um, hard on the book so that when I hand it over I've pretty much finished I'm not one of those writers who hands a draft over and asks for you know feedback and what mm-hmm. can I do to improve it yeah. uh, but also that means that by the time I've handed a book over I pretty much then start hating it straight away mm-hmm. and it's generally about a year or, or so until I'm working on the next thing and I um, that I can look back and, and decide whether whether it was any good or not. Actually, um, it's interesting because I read that uh, before you wrote this book, you actually went back and read the first five books of the series. I did, yes. There's a kind of um, checking for continuity um, yeah. errors and that sort of thing. Uh, yes, so that was um, that was quite a painful experience, I found, uh, because it's probably my, my training as a, as a sub-editor. You know, I, I look through it and think, my God, how did I... How did Why I not did I think that, that was a good sentence? Mm-hmm. Why did I not take that word out? You know, that sort of thing. Um, so it's, yeah, revisiting the work. That's the only time I've ever done it, really, apart from the old glance. And um, it was a, it was a must-try-harder moment for me. <coughs> I thought, you know. and, and why now, rather than, say, after every book in the series, because, you know, this is a series, so, you know, why after five books did you, did you um, do that exercise? <laughs> Procrastination. I'd obviously been putting it off far mm-hmm. too long. Um, I'm sure there must be a couple of things that have um, slipped past me and uh, maybe readers will start pointing them out to me, you know, continuity error type sure. things. And there came a point where I couldn't put it off any longer. And also, with, with Joe Country, I was quite deliberately revisiting um, a couple of things, and I wanted to pick up on uh, maybe scenes that I'd, um, I mean, locations that I'd maybe mentioned or mm-hmm. just uh, and characters who had kind of drifted past, and I thought, oh, I want to bring some people back. And um, it, it's sort of a treat for readers. You know, it's kind of a, an Easter egg sort of thing when... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bringing back, say, uh, Min's wife, Min Harper's wife, yep. uh, and that sort of thing. And because I was digging up older characters, I had to make sure that I remembered them, you know, and, and mm-hmm. 
the colour yeah, of their eyes and where so Where they forth. came from, that sort of thing, yeah, and, you know, what the name of their wife was and that sort of thing. <laughs> so you said, like, I think you're on record as saying you found lots of things that you'd forgotten that served as, as kindling for the new one, so... As well yeah. as characters that maybe had only had kind of walk-on parts in the past, you know, yeah. could you mention, I don't know, give me a clue as to a couple of other um, things that you were um, coming back in, across? Back in Dead Lions, there's a, uh, one of the characters, he's the, the Russian uh, spy, essentially. He's a kind of masquerading as a mm-hmm. teacher, I think, in London. He mentions a shop uh, where sp- spooks hang out, um, buying the Polish tobacco and the like, mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. in Soho. And uh, it was just a passing mention of it um, in the book. Yeah. And I'm using that as a location in the mm-hmm. book I'm writing mm-hmm. at the moment because I just thought, yes, that's, that's quite a nice little idea. Yeah, yeah. So that sort of thing, um, really just looking for moments when I was obviously, the imagination was working quite well and mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. wasn't really exploiting it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Not a repetition, but a kind of elegant variation is the way that you often um, start your books. I think it was originally inspired by... Um, the start to Bleak House by Dickens in which you have either a cat or a ghost or whatever that kind of moves like a kind of a, a moving camera whatever um, sort of over the um, Sly House to kind of set the scene for the book. Uh, would you like to sort of say a little bit about that? Uh, well, certainly when I did Slow Horses, yeah, I mean, talk about hubris, yes, I thought, um, oh, Bleak House is quite good, why don't I nick that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I, I wanted a kind of roving eye, and I used, uh, uh, you know, how in, in Bleak House it's done with the fog, and I thought, yes, I want to do something a bit like that. But having done that with Slow Horses um, and thinking, okay, that worked, I have the kind of um, mindset, I suppose, which thinks, oh, I, I, have, to keep, I have to keep doing that now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a, it's a good device for um, for allowing new readers to um, to catch up, as it mm-hmm. were, without mm-hmm. simply setting out exposition. You know, this is what Slough House is. This is why it's here. Yeah. So I find different ways into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does mean that each time I have to come up with um, with a new kind of device. guiding mm-hmm. metaphor, I suppose, mm-hmm. in order to do that. But that's one of the challenges. I mean, I, I enjoy I enjoy doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, those sections can take me a lot longer to write than than most others because they're very um, they're very dense and sort of you because know, they're, they're dense and i try to get as much information mm-hmm. um across in as few words as possible so a lot of it is writing and then cutting and cutting you know and trying to make sure that yeah. um that i'm still saying everything i need to say but by the time i've got to the end of one of those scenes i'm pretty much you know back in the world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I'm writing. And it, it, um, it means that, you know, from then on, I feel like, you know, I'm home and dry, really. Oh, yeah. you know, with a lot of writing to go yet, but I'm, I've got my right, uh, I've got the right headset on. Tell me a bit about um, Jackson Lamb, or rather tell uh, the listeners, what type of a character is he? I like to characterise him as somebody who's um, sort of shop floor, who's been promoted to management, uh, mm-hmm. but his heart is still with the people who are doing the actual work mm-hmm. rather than those who are having meetings. And um, he's somebody who's, I think, motivated a lot by self-loathing. I mean, he's got a dark past, which mm-hmm. I haven't interrogated too briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's some, there's some kind of trauma there which he doesn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really plan to to make him talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel that if you know you had spent your life in that kind of work, and we know that he is 
at some point have been an undercover operator who's been an actual Joe himself, mm-hmm. uh, then I don't think you get out of that way of life undamaged. Mm-hmm. And I think he is just very damaged, and that's why he acts and speaks the way he does. Mm-hmm. But I don't go into his head. I don't go into his heart. Mm-hmm. I, I leave that for... Um, he, he is the only one who you don't, you don't see it from his point of view. Um, that's right, mm-hmm. because if you did, you'd either know that means everything he says, in mm-hmm. which case he'd be intolerable. Mm-hmm. You could have no liking from him at all. Mm-hmm. Or he doesn't mean it, in which case he wouldn't be dangerous and he mm-hmm. wouldn't mm-hmm. have any mm-hmm. kind of edge to him at all. So I like having him there with people simply observing him. I mean, there's a scene in, in Joe Country where I went further into his background than I've ever done before, a conversation with, with Catherine, which mm-hmm. was, you know, for a very specific reason. Um, and I did write, um, when I finished Joe Country, I've written a short story, which is sort of about his early years, but it's not, it doesn't, uh, it's a, a set at a slight remove. It's a, a, another scene, which is a conversation about something that happened I'm sorry, a is long it, time ago. Is this a novella that's, or a... No, no, this is just a short story. It will, it, uh, currently, it's uh, only going to appear as, um, uh, in the, special edition that Waterstones are, are putting out. Um, but it will be anthologised uh, possibly next year. Because, like, one of the things that you do do is um, bring out n- novellas um, sort of almost interspersed with the, the, the books of, of, the, of the series. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Is it just sort of that you're so prolific or whatever that, you know, you need that outlet? Or is it a deliberate way of, you know, I think you've said before, it's, it's a way of introducing new characters, for example? Um, a, a bit of both. I mean, more. It's more because I um, I need a, an outlet for um, for the writing. Uh, the last one, the drop, came out of nowhere. I'd finished London Rules, and instead of having kind of wound down and feeling exhausted at the end of the book, which is quite normal, mm-hmm. um, I was still kind of all operating at quite a high pitch. So I went straight from finishing that into writing the drop. And over the course of writing that, I managed to kind of get back into a um, oh I'm not sure what really managed to change down the gear and relax a bit after I'd finished it mm-hmm. so the drop came out of nowhere and I was very happy to um, to have that and I did you know at the same time use it to introduce a, a new character it wasn't really a plan it was something that happened during the course of the writing I thought oh hang on this is this is what's happening <laughs> and um, so Lek became a character in, in Joe Country mm-hmm. and uh yeah, he's a character I'm very interested in writing more about. So. Mm-hmm. And can I ask you a little bit more about influences? Um, like, I think John Le Carre is is one big one, obviously. Can, oh, can you... I mean, yes, yes. I mean, Le Carre is one of the great, well, the great spy writer of our time. Uh, I don't think it would be possible to write spy fiction without being in some way influenced by him, because even if you've never read him, you certainly will have read people who are influenced by him. So you might, uh, you know... Yeah. His his, um, his reach extends very far. How would you describe him to somebody who hadn't read him, for example? That he's someone who who's taken the potential of, of genre fiction, espionage fiction, and shown how it can be used to write about society as a whole, particularly mm-hmm. at his during his particular era. I mean, he's very good on you know the sort of end of empire, really. You know, the post-war uh, looking for a role, looking for a role in the world, mm-hmm. um, and he dramatized that in a, in a brilliant way, um, particularly with the great trilogy, the, um, the Carla trilogy, as it's called, you know, Tinker Taylor, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Honorable Schoolboy and Smiley's People. 
Uh, but he really is, you know, he's, he's probably the heir to Graham Greene. Um, and in that same way, he's capable of writing books that are entertainment, but at the same time, cuts to the heart of, of, um, of the individual. He obviously are, um, it's well known that he actually worked um, in the Secret Service. Um, do you feel at all that you you miss out by the, the fact that um, you you haven't been in MI5 or MI6 um, or maybe um, this is straying into um, the the grounds of, of uh, state secrets? <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes feel like I'm the only spy writer who never did work for the Secret Service. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I, there's, a, there's a huge tradition within the um, British spy novel of having worked in that field. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Ian Fleming did, obviously. I believe Dayton did. Mm-hmm. The Carey, Graham Greene, Somerset Maugham. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milskin Childers, who wrote The Riddle of the Sands, was shot as a spy, which is taking commitment to the genre a little far. Green and Black's Velvet Edition range introduces a variety of signature flavours in a smooth, velvety finish. Made with the finest ingredients and ethically sourced cocoa, choose Green and Black's chocolate and escape the ordinary. Welcome back. As I mentioned at the beginning, Mick studied at Oxford and his books often satirise the elite. So I asked him for his views on the current political drama gripping Britain, many of whose actors are also associated with Oxbridge. Like because you kind of look at, well, as an outsider... Um, you look at kind of British society now and you look at Brexit and people like Cameron and Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg and a lot of those people, you know, their their roots are Oxbridge and public school or whatever and you kind of wonder, you know, does is there a clear connection? Obviously there's a whole sort of um, disadvantaged uh, working class post-industrial communities that voted for Brexit as well for maybe different reasons, but it's not irrelevant because, you know, it does um, crop up again and again in Joe Country, but also in maybe previous um, books in the series. Oh, um, yeah, my, my feeling about Brexit is that, um, I mean, it's been people with vested interests have manipulated and lied to large sections of the community, many, many sections which are angry for very, you know, obvious and, and perhaps good reason mm-hmm. um, but they've been lied to and manipulated and um, in a, you know, there, are, there is a part of me that we want to go back and burn down the, um, uh, the, the bastions of privilege that allowed these people to, to take over mm-hmm. uh, in such a oh, self-serving way I mean I, I find it quite despicable really I've spoken about or with you, I think, before, maybe about satire. Like, you know, is satire just letting off steam, snarking to the converted? I think you mentioned Tom Lehrer. Like, satire maybe died when Tom Lehrer said about Kissinger winning the, the, the Nobel Peace, the Peace Prize. Prize. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the, the kind of go-to quote for, for um, satirists, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see that it does any good at all, except that it lets off a bit of my own steam. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to, I'm, you know, in as much as I'm preaching at all, I'm preaching to the converted. Nobody mm-hmm. is going to pay any attention to me except those who kind of agree with me anyway, I think. Um, and, you know, it's all bubbling away in the background. I'm not, um, I, I'm trying to include characters who you know, think very differently to, to the way I do. You started off uh, with a crime series 
and That's then right, yeah. you you moved to this the spy series, the Jackson Lamb Slough House series, and the the prompt for that was July seventh bombings. Am I right? That was certainly one of them. I mean, there were various things going on, mm-hmm. um, but uh, in my head, um, yeah. but that was that would have been one of the triggers. That was um, you know I started writing Slow Horses the following year. I wanted to write something a bit more public, I think, mm-hmm. but also I wanted to write about a group of people rather than an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, a, a slow accumulation of um, ideas, really. Uh, I was interested in writing about failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a location that I wanted to use, and the idea of writing about spies who were tethered to their desks seemed quite fruitful. So mm-hmm. it all just came together at the time. Why failure as a subject? Failures are more interesting to write about than success. Mm-hmm. Failures are more interesting people than successes on the whole, yeah. uh, because they have, you know, all that kind of regret and and um, and acting out. I mean, failures can can act badly, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they feel thwarted and frustrated, and therefore they make bad choices. So all of this is is not great to live, but it's um, it's great to read about. It's great yeah. fun to write. It, it kind of it was self fulfilling, really, because I wrote the book and it just kind of disappeared without trace it was um, it was some years later before anybody started reading it which one is this now sorry this is slow horses um, what it, it didn't it wasn't an immediate success oh no no um it was published in 2010 uh-huh. and then um i was dropped by constable after writing that um it was not until the third book in the series real tigers that i started to get any kind of um traction, if you like. And right. that was because John Murray were publishing me here in the UK. And, uh, and they, they got behind it. it in a big way? They or? got really behind it. They've been so supportive. They've made all the difference in the world. Yeah, One of those overnight successes that takes many years. Absolutely, yes. Like one of the points you say is that you set books in places um, that you know so the backdrop doesn't wobble. Um, like, I was fascinated to, to listen to a podcast where somebody had actually you know, based on clues or, or, you know, details in the book had actually identified um, the very building um, that Slough House um, is, is in near the Barbican. Yeah, I was sent a photograph uh, by an American <laughs> yeah. reader who has been in London, and he, he was right. He was, um, I mean, I've got a photograph almost identical, which I took mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, yeah, so obviously the um, the instructions <laughs> can be followed, yes. Is that flattering to the point of disturbing? A uh, little bit of both, but mostly <laughs> flattering. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. One of the lines, like I think you've said something um, um, that you you like, car- or one of the things that you're interested in is is characters um, being really mean uh, to each other, um, or something along those lines. Um, does that ring a bell? Oh, I'm sure it's something that I've said uh, many times. I mean, essentially. If I could get away with it, I'd write an entire book just with people sitting in an office squabbling. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the bits that uh, seem to me most realistic and are most fun to write. But, you know, I do have to send them out and, and save the world occasionally. And also, it, like I was going to say, like it's it's not like, you know, I, I'm not sure. I think, you know, one um, malcontent, I think, sort of, you know, said, I like the books, but they're a bit sort of misanthropic, which I don't agree with at all. Um, and I would say, you know, that like there are also huge moments of of empathy in in the book. Um, like there's the the moment of River at his grandfather's funeral where he says something like, you know, he couldn't, you know, um, he wouldn't want them back because he couldn't bear to to lose them again, lose which them again. Yeah. was a very you know deep um, moment of 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 human emotion. I I hope I'm writing them empathetically, but 
they do behave misanthropically a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Certainly Lamb does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm writing about good people behaving badly, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think it's not a, not a great reading that just sees them behaving badly and doesn't recognize that. I'm trying to write around people who are hurting, you know, that are not mm-hmm. thwarted and frustrated mm-hmm. and lashing out at each other, mm-hmm. but also occasionally making contact. Uh, there are, I think, you know, friendships that are developed mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. my characters over mm-hmm. the course of the books. Mm-hmm. And some of the characters never get on at all. But um, but that's, you know, you kind of look around an office and that's what you're going to see. One of the things that you said that sort of interested me was maybe we were sort of talking a little bit about the, the writing method. You said uh, to be true to your characters, they will sometimes do things that don't suit the plot. Um, I'm just wondering, like, you know, you start off with with a character rather than um, a scenario. Is that right? And are, maybe tell me a little bit about your, your writing method and your both, you know, how you do it and also how you kind of um, maybe sort of structure the, the plot or whatever, or maybe there is no structure. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure structure is the word I'd use. Uh, because I'm writing, I mean, most of the time these days I'm writing within the series. The characters are all there. Um, so when I'm contemplating the next book, I'm as much thinking about what I'll do in terms of the relationships between the characters mm-hmm. as anything else. Um, and also, of course, I'm increasingly, perhaps less so with Joe Country, certainly a lot with London Rules and with the book I'm working on at the moment, mm-hmm. I'm looking at the political situation as it is. Mm-hmm. And that's the background which I'm either relying on or slightly twisting into, you know, potential mm-hmm. shape, shapes that I can well see it actually taking. Um, so, in a sense, I've got the, you know, the backdrop has already been painted and the actors are already on the stage. So mm-hmm. the, the actual plot, the stuff that I make them do, mm-hmm. is really just an excuse to get them all starting to move. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, the plot is the least important part of, of what I'm doing. Um, I do know that in... I can't now actually remember whether it's Joe Country or London Rules. I think it was Joe Country, where I decided on a particular plot and then realized, this is before I started writing, mm-hmm. um, and then realized that wasn't going to work. So I just kind of substituted a different plot for it, mm-hmm. but kept everything else that I had in mind in place. I mean, the way the characters were going to act, kind of the places they were going to go, the ultimate you know, consequences of the action they were involved in. All those things remained the same. Mm-hmm. So I, I see the plot really as being a, a kind of a maypole. You mm-hmm. stick the maypole in and they all start dancing around it. It doesn't really matter what you use as a maypole. It's mm-hmm. just got to mm-hmm. be there. I, and and the yet they are pretty tightly plotted. Like, you know, it's not as if um, it's just character studies with a, a fairly limp kind of, you know, central thread or whatever. Like, you know, they do build to a crescendo. There's usually a couple of, you know, pretty um, gripping um, set pieces. Well, I try to keep the rhythms in place, and I think that's where that's where they're all attached, <laughs> and that's where the plotting comes from. Mm-hmm. But it's not all worked out in advance the plot. I mean, a lot of it is done on the hoof, mm-hmm. which is not to say that I've decided that is the best way of doing it. It's just that I find it difficult most of the time to plot in the abstract because when it comes to doing the actual writing, I realize, well, all of these characters have to have something to do. So I've got to keep going back to the different characters mm-hmm. and touching base with them. So therefore, they've all got to be involved in their own particular um, uh, I'm trying not to say journeys here. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all going to be doing something, and therefore the plot kind of expands to allow that to happen. And then, of course, I've got to bring it all together in the end, one way or the other. So 
I try to tie everything up. Yeah, but it's that's all that's all the stuff that's done um, on the page. You know, mm-hmm. it's not uh, it's not all worked out beforehand. And you said that you're already um, working on on the next novel. Is it another one in the series, or is it a standalone? It's the next in the series. Yes, I'm sticking with them for a while now because uh, I'm having a lot of fun. Me too. <laughs> Good to hear. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, it's been lovely chatting to you again, and thanks very much for another great book. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you, Martin. Thank you for listening to the Irish Times Books podcast.